Praise the Lord. Well, we're talking about fruit. Amen? Fruit. What kind of fruit are you? Are you ripe? <laughs> are you rotten? Do you need to be peeled? What kind of fruit are you? This, huh? What kind of fruit? We are, as believers, as we were talking about on Sunday, we are to be producing fruit. Amen? In our lives. Well, let me just put it to you this way. Whether you want to or not, each and every one of us are producing fruit on a regular basis. Amen? We are each and every day, we are producing fruit on a regular basis. I found this in Numbers today. I'm reading through the Bible and I found this in Numbers today. So we're going to start in Numbers 13. And you know you're super spiritual when you go to Numbers. Don't say numbers don't matter to God. He wrote a whole book about it. Don't say God doesn't want you to work. He wrote a whole book about it. J-O-B. Amen. It was important to him. Numbers chapter 13, verses 23. And everybody knows the story. Um, after Israel left Egypt and they were in the wilderness, um, they sent 12 spies to, pry, to spy out the promised land. Amen. And uh, there was a person um, sent from each tribe, and uh, they were to go into the promised land and to spy it out so they could come back and tell Moses and tell everybody what they were up against. And uh, Numbers 13, 23 says, and they came to the valley of Eshol and cut down from there a branch with one cluster of grapes, and they carried it on a pole between two of them. They also brought some pomegranates and some figs. So of all the things that they brought out of the promised land, what was the thing that distinguished it above everything else? The fruit. The fruit that they brought back was a small representation of the whole of the promised land. Amen? The fruit that we develop, that people partake of on a regular basis, is a small representation of all that we are. Amen? If I got a good banana from the tree, what's that tell me about the tree? That's a healthy tree, isn't it? If I keep getting bad bananas from the same tree, or bananas that don't grow the right size, or are the right color, or taste the right way, Whatever it is, when I keep partaking of that same fruit, that fruit is a representation of what's going on inside that tree. Amen? There's no way to hide it. It's the same way with us as a believer. Amen? The fruit that people partake from us on a regular basis is a representation, a true representation of who we really are. It is a product, a representation of what's inside of us. I cannot be an unhealthy tree and produce a healthy fruit. It is impossible. No more than me being a healthy tree, I cannot produce an unhealthy fruit. It is impossible. This is going to be really, really deep. An apple tree can't fake an apple. An apple tree can't pretend that it's a healthy apple. What's going to happen? You're going to partake of that apple and you're going to figure out really, really fast that there's something off or there's something wrong. It's the same with us as a believer. Every day, people are partaking of the fruit that we are producing, good, bad, or indifferent. And what do people taste when they taste us? 
What do they see when they see us? Are they healthy? You eat fruit because it's good for you, right? That's what they tell me. If you could put like glaze on an orange, it might be better, I don't know. If you could deep fry it in butter, it might be great, I don't know. But for all intents and purposes, fruit is healthy, isn't it? Therefore, the fruit that we are producing as a believer, it should help make people healthy. Amen? I didn't write this down, but a lot of times the fruit that people are partaking of us are our words. The fruit that comes out of your mouth is what's been planted in your heart and is what's growing on the inside. It's like on the baseball field, people know that I'm a pastor and they're, they'll be really, really conscious about the words that come out of their mouth. Words that you just probably shouldn't be using around 12-year-olds, but they'll be really, really conscious. But you know what? You can't hide it forever. Because when you get put under pressure, what's really in you is what's going to come out. And while we might want to tell everybody, oh, this is just the lovely fruit of my heart. This is what's funny with men at the beginning of the season. You know, little coaches, it's just really all about the kids. You know, we're just here for the kids. We just want to make sure that all these kids have a good time. We just want to make sure it's not about winning or losing. It's not about keeping score. It's about the kids. You get to playoffs, I will cut your head off. These are my 12-year-olds, and we are going to get that little piece of plastic, and we're going to get it at all cost. Bless God. These kids need to learn this is the real life. This is the world. You know? It's so funny. The more pressure, come on. The more pressure that is applied to us, the deeper into us it goes. I've said this many times before. The most dangerous place for a man is when he has not enough or has too much. Because in those circumstances, who he really is is what's going to come out. So my question is, is what are we a representation of? When people partake of us, do they go, man, That's so much peace. Have anybody ever said that about you and just said, there's just a lot of peace about you. They just like to sit and be with you just because you're not troubled, you're not worried, you're you're, you're just peaceful. And you could be going through the same thing that they are. That peace is an abiding piece of fruit that's produced by the fruit of the Spirit that can only be produced by the Holy Spirit. Amen. Amen. When each and every one of us got saved, we all got access. There was a garden that was planted or replanted inside of us in the soil of our hearts. And it is our job with the help of the Holy Spirit to start producing what Galatians called the fruit of the Spirit. Amen? That's the fruit that's going to remain. Now, there's fruits of righteousness. There's all kinds of different kinds of fruits. But there are fruits by the Holy Spirit. And why do you think that love is the first one? Man, if we could get that one, all the rest are the same. All the rest are easy. Now, but I want you to realize this, and we talked about this before. The fruit of the Spirit are not nine different fruits. It's called the blended whole. It's one fruit that's a blend of all nine fruits, like a pomegranate. Amen? So I'm not developing each one independently of each other. I'm developing them all interdependently of each other. When I make sure that, like, I had to go in the back and go to 1 Corinthians chapter 13 and start reading the love chapter out of the Amplified Bible. Amen? Because everything that happened up to this point when I got here was the opposite of 1 Corinthians chapter 13. 
Amen? I heard Rick Renner say, I think Paul wrote 1 Corinthians 13, the love chapter, for himself. He had to write it for himself because, you know, anybody deal with stress? Anybody dealing with trials and tribulations and pressures and outside stuff and all that? It's real, isn't it? Don't, please, please, please don't think that faith is just denying the things that are going on around you. That's not faith. Sticking our head in the sands and just hoping and praying that it's going to turn out is not faith. Faith is taking an active stand against those things that are coming against you with the word of God. Amen? The only way we're ever going to develop love is by faith. Because we can't do it on our own. God loved us so much that when we got born again, he gave us a portion of his love for us to develop. That unconditional, that agape, that love that is sacrificial, that lays down his life for his friend. I don't wake up every day wondering, whose life am I going to lay down for today? I have to, it takes faith for me to do that. It's not natural. Amen? It's not natural for me. I have to do it by faith and I have to do it on purpose. Amen? Does that make sense? So let's look at Galatians chapter 5, verse 19. Galatians chapter 5, verse 15. And obviously, when you get down into 1523, it lists all of the fruit of the Spirit. And man, we could just hang out there all night. Amen? Love, joy, peace, long-suffering, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. Against such there is no law. It is all you can eat. You know, you can have all the love you want. You cannot overdose on it. You know, you can have all the joy that you want and not overdose on it. You know, you can keep going through the self-control line all you want. It's kind of an oxymoron, isn't it, getting all the self-control that you want? You can have all the peace that you want. You can have all the joy that you want. It is unlimited. It is 24-7. And it is good and it is healthy. And you cannot overdose on it. But above it, it gives a list of the fruit of the flesh. And uh, I had never actually gone down and studied what each one of these actually mean. But that's kind of what I did today. Galatians 5.19 5.19 says, now the doings, the practices of the flesh are clear. They're obvious. Or I could say, now the fruit of the flesh are clear or obvious. And it lists them, not in a particular order, but it says immorality, impurity, indecency, idolatry, sorcery, enmity, strife, jealousy, anger, ill temper, selfishness, divisions, party spirits, um, envy, drunkenness, carousing, and the like. And you know, to be honest with you, each one of us would read that list and we'd go, none of that applies to me, right? When you read that at just a face value like me, I'm like, no, no, none of that applies to me. But you know, when you actually go back and you study what they are, there were my, this was how my morning went. Lord, thank you for that revelation. Dear God, I repent because I've been doing this for so long and I didn't even know I was doing it. Oh, Lord, thank you for this revelation. Oh, my gosh, i got to repent again. My whole day has been revelation and repenting, revelation and repenting. Because there are these fruits in my life. And so I'm going to get in a little bit of detail. Amen. 
And if something hits you, don't look around, don't act like it, just take it, repent, bring it into the light, and then we just believe God that we'll be delivered and healed of it tonight. Amen? Amen. Well, now the works of the, or the fruit are evident, which number one is adultery. That word adultery was not in the original manuscript. So that was something that the translators put in. Um, it's a good one, though, not to do, right? We could all agree adultery would be bad. Can we get 100% consensus on that? That yes, that adultery under any circumstances between married people uh, outside of the marriage relationship is bad. Amen. It can get you shot and killed in the state of Texas. Amen. Adultery is bad, but it was added. The first one really says sexual immorality. Sexual immorality. And that simply means a selling off of sexual purity. The root of the word pornography or any type of promiscuity. Sexual immorality, we like to just take out certain ones that are so prevalent in the news and talk about those. But sexual immorality, which is a fruit of the flesh, is any sex that is outside of the marriage covenant. Amen? It is any sex outside of the marriage covenant. There's not one type of sexual immorality that's worse than any other type. And actually, the Bible says it is a sin unto your own body. Come on. There are sins that, that there are, sin is sin, but some sins have more consequences than others. Amen? Most men, and it could be women, that are in prison today for violent sexual acts started with a healthy addiction to pornography. It all started there. It started when they were young. It's a, it's, a, it's, a, it's a craving that and a desire that they fed on, they fed on, they fed on, they fed on. And by the time they were old enough, they begin to try and act out because they were no longer stimulated by what they saw. They needed more and more and more and more. Amen. To be honest with you, pornography is the oxygen for all sexual sin. If you could pull that one thing out of the equation, we would cut down on divorce, we would cut down on abuse, we would cut down on rape, we would cut down on all those things because that is the oxygen in which it's allowed to breathe in and grow. And it wants to entrap young men at a young age so that it becomes a substitute for the presence of the Holy Spirit in their life later. Sorry, didn't mean to go that deep, that, but I, I want us to be honest about it, okay? Amen? It is a, it is, there is no, well, all boys look at it, it's, it's healthy, it's normal, it helps them in later life to understand, you know, it's just crazy is really what it is, amen? And it's not from God, and it is considered sexual immorality. The next one is uncleanness. Uncleanness, which is the impurity of lustful life, of luxurious, prolificate living. It is wasteful and irresponsible living. Really what it comes down to, uncleanness, when it talks about uncleanness, it is unpure motives. 
Has anybody in the room had an unpure motive? Man, I, that hit me so hard. I'm thinking, no, unclean. Unclean's like a leper or something. Lord, I'm not unclean. If you ever looked at somebody as a means to an end, you had an improper motive towards that person. And that is a fruit of the flesh that needs to be brought out to the light and ask God to forgive us. We don't use people. Satan uses people. I don't con people. I don't manipulate people. I love people. I'm here to... Your pastoral staff succeeds when you succeed. I succeed. Michelle and I succeed when you get your faith project. We succeed with you. I'm trying to... We're trying to get stuff to you. I'm never trying to get something from you. Amen? And so uncleanness, while you would think, oh, that's, that's, it's really no more than looking at somebody with an impure motive. Instead of looking at them with love, I'm looking at you like, what can you do for me? And how can you help make my life better? Instead of the opposite, which is, what can I do for you? And how can I make your life better? Amen? That was a good one, wasn't it? Never would have thought that. Lewdness, which is a violent spirit which rejects and indulges in lawless insolence, which is conduct shocking to public decency, outrageous conduct. All I know is it seems like in the world today, people, because of social media, YouTube and all that, are trying to outdo each other and be more outrageous and be more shocking and be more, amen? They're not satisfied. We're all trying to push the edge so that I can be the most, I want to be the most, I want to be remembered as being the most indecent. I want to have the most shocking behavior. I want to be the one, see what I'm saying? And the Bible says that is a fruit of the flesh and that is lewdness. Number four, idolatry. And that's exactly what you think it is. It is, it is image worship. It is worship of false gods. It is the worship of mammon. Idolatry is not you going in your backyard, cutting down a tree, whittling it all down, putting two eyes and a nose and a big smiley face, putting it in the middle of your house and praying to this thing. That's a form of it. Idolatry is anything that you worship above God. Anything that you give more time to above God is an idol in your life. If I spend more time at football than I do spending time in the Word of God, then football is an idol in my life. If I spend more time at work than I do in the things of God, then work has become an idol in my life, and that's who I'm really paying my tithes to. It's to work. It's not to the living Father. So I want to make sure that there's nothing in my life that's taking more time than what I'm giving to the Lord. And it could be for good things. It could be for charitable things. Oh, we lie to ourselves. Oh, I go down and I work at the mission 12 times a week and I serve and I, yeah, but are you spending any quality time with God in the word? Is he Lord or is that where you're just getting your attention from? Come on. We have to check our motives, ladies and gentlemen. If we're wondering sometimes why things aren't happening like we think that they should, I think we need to check our hearts. 
What's my motive for what I'm doing? What's my motive for serving? What's my motive for all that I'm doing? Sorcery. This is a good one. The use of medicine, drugs, or spells. It is drug-related sorcery, practice of magical arts. Isn't it interesting that the word pharmacy comes from that word? How many people today have been laid open wide to demonic experience because of their addiction to pharmaceuticals? How many of these drugs that they take for ADHD and all the ABCD and LMNOP and all these things that are supposed to, and really there's, the, 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 there's a short-term effect, but the long-term, the, the effects of these drugs are, are so harmful to the people that are taking them. Amen? That is a form of sorcery. When you're enslaving somebody to a drug for the rest of their life, that's sorcery. Amen? There is nobody in this room that needs to be enslaved to a drug for the rest of your life. Pills are easy. I mean, it just seems so easy to be able to get something for anything you want these days. It's just easier for a doctor to write you a prescription than it is to actually give you a diagnosis and a way for you to work out of it. It's easier for me to give you a thing and let you have a thousand Valium. Amen? We are the most medicated society in history. We are the most. No, no ifs, ands, or buts. There are trillions and trillions. There are pills that they cannot even account for. And they keep making them trillions and trillions and trillions of all these pills. And they're giving them to your kids. If your kid won't sit still in school, guess what? Johnny's ADHD. So we need to start putting him on this right now. You know what they called ADHD when I was six and seven years old? Wait till your dad gets home. We're going to ADHD you till you can sit still. And guess what? It worked. Amen? It worked. Amen? It didn't take a medication. It took a family. And really, all of these things that I'm talking about are trying to take the place of the family. If you can't raise your kids, here's a drug. If you can't self-control your kids, here you go. If you can't discipline your kids, if you can't raise your kids, here. We got all this stuff that it's made for them to raise them for you. This is gonna get better, I promise. Hatred, hatred is exactly what you think it means. It means hatred, enmity, hostility, enemy, reason for opposition. Number seven, strife. There is so much strife in the world right now. Strife is a readiness to quarrel. It's an affection for dispute. You can actually have, does anybody know somebody that has an affection for dispute that just like to argue for the sake of arguing? Have you ever argued with somebody for so long that you forgot what the original argument was about? <laughs> and now you're just arguing for arguing's sake? There are people that love that strife. Remember, strife is praise and worship to the devil. That's Ivan Tate, amen? Strife is praise and worship to the devil. So when you get a husband and wife in strife, when we begin to quarrel, when we begin to go each other, those words that start coming out of our mouths, we are producing worship for Satan's ears. He loves that stuff, amen? All that, all that cable news is, folks, that's all that it is, is just strife. 
There's nothing of value that's in it. You don't need to watch it, turn it off, cut the cable. You can know, you know what's going on in the world. You'll get an update every 15 seconds on your phone. You'll get a crawl. You don't have to watch hours and hours and hours. When we watch hours and hours and hours of cable news, all you're doing is filling yourself with strife and opinion. And it's real hard for the Holy Spirit to move when that's the stuff that's full. We want good stuff to come out of us, but if I've just been feeding on news, whether it's conservative or liberal, it's the same thing because there's no love in it. It's I'm right and you're wrong and, and this is that and he did this and she said this. Isn't it amazing that nobody says something's right, it's wrong. It always goes back to, well, the guy before did it. That's the, that's the answer for everything that's going on. Well, the administration before, they did X, Y, and Z. So, but does that make it right? No, it doesn't make it right. So strife. We need to get say strife. Get out of my life. Jealousy, which is rivalry, burning emotion, an inner feeling boiling over from heat. Jealousy is, I think, one of the more seductive fruit of the flesh that we deal with because you can be jealous, but you can kind of keep it in check. You have to kind of look at it over a period of time, and then all of a sudden it comes bubbling up. Amen? We always have to check our hearts. Why am I jealous? I used to deal with jealousy a lot as a young man. I had to get delivered of it before I married Michelle because I had been inappropriate at a young age and developed soul ties at too young of an age. And when you're too irresponsible to handle a mature relationship and you're a juvenile, you develop these soul ties, but you don't know how to communicate. You don't know how to do any of those things. So you revert to the lowest level of action, and that's just jealousy. And all jealousy is is what leads to abuse and hitting and all these types of things. Amen? But it's very, very subtle. Why do they get to sit on the front row? Why did Pastor, why did he get acknowledged? It's so subtle in how we bring out, and we have to bring it into the light. Amen? Bring jealousy into the light. Outburst of wrath, which is passion driven behavior, actions emerging out of strong impulses, rage. We have to be really, really wise, ladies and gentlemen, about being compulsive. How many of us have made compulsive decisions before in our life and wish we could have those decisions back? Compulsion is not a gift of the Spirit. Amen? What we have to do is that we have to hold on really, really tight. When we feel compulsed to do something, that's not God. God will lead you by what? How does God lead us? He magically appears by your bedside as Obi-Wan Kenobi. And how does God speak to a believer? Through his word. But how about, if, how about us directly? The peace of God. Amen? It's the peace of God that leads me to do things. It's not compulsive things that lead me to do things. I have a peace about it. When, we sit down, when I sit down with Vincent and we talk about all the outreaches we're going to do, I am listening, but I am listening here for a peace about what we're about to do. And he is too. He comes in and he goes, you know, I just really have a piece about it. And I'm like, you know what, Vincent, I do too. There have been a couple of things that he came in. And I'm like, I don't know if that's for right now. I just don't have a piece about it. Doesn't mean we're not going to do it. But if, if Vincent was compulsive, he would just go out and do it anyway. 
And that's where a lot of mistakes, being compulsive is expensive. Because if we just wait and listen to the Holy Spirit and do it in his timing, he'll always get God's goods, God's way, and not pay the world's prices for them. Amen? When I'm compulsive, have you ever called someone and you you were going to buy something, and of course there were five other people looking at it, and it's the last one, and those prices are going up tomorrow. You better act now. It's not God. Amen? Here's a good one. Selfish ambitions. Places self-interest ahead of what the Lord declares right or is what is good for another. Selfish ambitions. We have to be really, really wise. I want to say this tactfully, and I want to say it. I'm not pointing anybody or group of people out. A lot of times when you see people in our church service on a Sunday morning, we're just seeing the best fruit, right? Everybody brings their best fruit to Sunday morning service, right? Nobody brings the old brown squished banana, right? What fruit do you want to portray? How do you want people to see you on a Sunday morning? I'm good, I'm healthy, I got my life together, my marriage is good, my kids are good, life is good, God is good. Praise the Lord, good fruit. But when you interact with them over a period of time outside of the sanctuary, you start making some observations. They have an agenda. And while they're wanting to portray fruit in the body, what the Bible says is they're really wolves in sheep's clothing. And they are ravenous on the inside. And they have an agenda. They are there for a reason and they want something that you have. And they will act like a banana, talk like a banana, peel like a banana, slip and slide like a banana until it's time for a banana split. Amen? And then all of a sudden, what's inside of them over a period of time begins to come out and you notice that the fruit being portrayed on a Sunday morning is not the fruit that they were portraying. Who you are in here is your reputation. Who you are alone is who you really are, is your character. Amen? And so you notice it takes time that some people come in and they have an agenda. It's a selfish ambition. They didn't come here because God sent them here. They came here because they thought they were going to be promoted or excelled. Come on. Amen? They had an agenda. They'll walk with you as long as there's no conflict. But the minute you make a step in this right direction, they're not with you. They're only with you in the good times. They're not going to be there if it actually comes down to, to, making, to, to sacrificing or, or to working. Amen? Dissensions. Used of divisions which wrongly separate people into pointless, groundless factions. This is the father of all racism. Dissensions. Used of division which wrongly separate people into pointless, groundless factions. All racism is, is fear. It is all based in fear. And fear is not from God. What's from God? Faith and love. Amen? Faith and love. So dissensions, you, <laughs> Ivan Tate, you cannot be a racist and go to heaven. You're going to hell. There are no racists in heaven. And you could hate somebody. That was hilarious. Envy. Man, this is going to hit us between the eyes. Are you ready? 
Does everybody think you know what envy means? What it means? Envy. Here's the biblical definition of envy. The miserable trait of being glad when someone experiences misfortune or pain. Oh, they had that coming. Oh, I'm so glad that happened to them. They had that coming. Folks, that is envy. It is rejoicing when those around us fall and fail. And it is, it's, it is a stench to God when we do it. I had to repent of that. Even people that deserve to get whacked shouldn't get whacked. You know what I mean? It's like, you just want it. You just one time, I want to see some of these politicians that have been lying for years. I want to see them go to prison. I want to see them go to jail. You know what I mean? I want rejoicing. Everybody, no one gets away with anything. Does everybody understand that? There is nobody that gets away with anything. And what you reap, you will, what you sow, you will reap. It is a biblical, um, it will happen in this earth. But we have to all check our hearts. I don't ever want to rejoice when even my enemy experiences a loss. Amen? One of the worst things that we can do is rejoice when someone falls. Because all of a sudden the judgment comes off of them and it goes on to you. And that's biblical. Are we having fun yet? I will pull us out of this before too long. Drunkenness. Deep drinking and intoxication. Amen? That brings up the age-old question. Should Christians drink? Dun-dun-dun-dun. Uh, for me, no. I don't drink. Uh, my family doesn't drink. Um, I've never seen it add one positive thing to anybody. And the people that I know that do drink, I've never seen them grow beyond where they are now. It is one of those things that will hold you. Are you going to get to heaven if you drink? Absolutely. But why would I want to take a chance on something that could intoxicate me? Well, pastor, I just have one or two. Man, that's great. You can have one or two, but what if that's the one day you haven't had enough food, you haven't had your vitamins, and that's that day that, that usually that one or two that doesn't do anything, now you are a little bit off your game and you're a little bit intoxicated. Are you going to drive? Are you going to take that chance? I'm just saying, I don't know of one positive thing that alcohol does for anybody, nevertheless a believer. I've never left the presence of God praying, worshiping, being with him, and went, man, I feel like having a drink. I'm always like, I get that same effect from the drink from him. I get that calm. I get that peace. I used to drink. I never liked drinking for taste. I drank to get drunk. People are like, oh, taste this. Taste nothing. Put the Coca-Cola on it and drink it. And, you know, if you drink enough of them, you'll be okay. Amen? But there's no, I, I'm just being honest with you. I don't know of any positive that there is. If you're trying to lose weight, there's a lot of calories in alcohol too. So there's another reason, right? Not to drink. And rivalries, revelries, which are riotous parties, drunken feasts that are hosted, um, um, which host unbridled sexual immorality. So wild, crazy parties. Man, that was a lot of stuff, wasn't it? How many of you identified with something out of that list? 
Absolutely. Amen. Those are the fruit of the flesh. Guess what? The fruit of the flesh are like weeds. You don't have to do anything to produce them. They're just laying there. You ever gone in your backyard and seen this beautiful green thing and you're like, man, that's awesome. That's a weed. All the grass around it, deader than a doorknob. Amen. But that weed, it's green. Amen. The fruit of the flesh is in there and you don't have to do anything. All you have to do is act on it to begin to produce that fruit. It takes no work at all. It was there already. But when we get born again, when Jesus Christ comes into our life and we, begin, we become the righteousness of God, God makes us righteous. God, of his own free will, restores our relationship just as he restored as, he had, as Adam and Eve did in the garden with him. And now I begin to produce, on purpose, the fruit of the Spirit. Amen? And love and joy. And like I said on Sunday, all of the fruit of the Spirit are meant to be developed in the congregation amongst one another. I have to learn to develop love with you. I have to learn to develop love with my wife, with my kids. I can't just go shut myself off from the world and try to develop love. Love's not made for me. I get satisfied when I love you. And that's really the kick to the whole thing. My love gets satisfied. My, all my needs can get satisfied if I will learn to love unconditionally and love you. Amen. All my needs. How about joy? Does anybody walk in a perpetual state of joy? I got one perpetual. You have to work at it, don't you? You have to choose, amen? The joy of the Lord is my strength. You know what I like about Vincent in the office? He'll just come through the door singing. Sometimes it's annoying, but most of the time it's good. But there's joy in his heart. I know the fruit. I know that I know that I know where he's been before he comes to work because he comes in with the fruit of who he's been with. And there's a song in his heart and he's got joy in his heart and it's really, it's really good for all of us. I can tell where my dad, my dad walks in the door. <whistles> this could be four o'clock in the morning. There's a whistle in his heart. He's singing, he's humming a tune. Not a care in the world, amen? But these are all things, listen to me, the fruit of the spirit we have to develop on purpose. Nobody gets a free ride. Each and every one of us have to develop our love walk and we have to do it one with another. Amen. And like I said, I'm not going to get love and then I get joy. If I can develop love, I'm going to begin to develop all the other ones. If I love, then I'm going to have self-control. If I'm really walking in the love of God, then I'm not going to have self-control because I'm satisfied with him. I'm not just trying to feed. When Michelle and I were at the Bible school years ago, and um, remember we would do the little parties? You would do the little parties, and Michelle would organize them, and, and you would have how many? 120 Bible school students, and they're from all over the world and from different walks of life, and a lot of us were living by faith and maybe didn't have a lot of money, so there would be this little buffet line of food, and it could just be chips and dips and all that kind of stuff. And man, you would see people loading up plates as if they were never going to eat food again. And you could tell what they were dealing with. Amen? Self-control. Their heart was telling them, you better eat now because you're never going to see this much again. Amen? 
If you want to check out someone's character, put them in an all-you-can-eat buffet line <laughs> or on, a, on, on the golf course or the basketball court because who you are is what's really, really going to come out. Amen? Put them in that buffet line. Amen? Can you handle a little bit more? Thank you, Lord. Mark 11, 13, and this is that famous story. You know, Jesus was going back and forth, and they came, uh, all of a sudden, Jesus sees a fig tree from a distance. And uh, he, he didn't see the figs, he saw the leaves. Amen? And as Jesus approaches it, Jesus is hungry. And Jesus goes up and he examines this fig tree and he makes this statement. He said that there was no figs to be found on it, for it was the season of figs. Now when a fig tree grows, a healthy fig tree produces leaves and figs at the same time. So you should never have one without the other. Amen? So then all of a sudden, Jesus says, let no one ever eat fruit from you again. And he cursed it. And the next day, you all know what comes back. Peter's walking by and says, Master, look. And Peter talks to him about having the faith of God. Folks, that's us. When Jesus comes back to the earth, I do not want to be a camel. I don't want to be, I don't want to just look like a fig tree. I need to be a fig tree. Amen. I don't just want to have leaves that make me look like I'm a Christian. I need to have corresponding fruit. It's not the leaves that proves that I'm a Christian. It's the fruit that I'm producing that does. Amen. I need to be producing fruit all the days of my life. There's never a season in our lives as a believer where we stop producing fruit. What's the Bible say? When Jesus returns to the earth, will he find faith? So obviously, faith is a fruit that can only be seen by the Spirit from heaven. It is recognizable. It is the figs on the tree that Jesus recognizes when he comes back to the earth. Will he find faith? Amen. And faith is something that you have to develop on purpose. Amen. All the things that we're talking about tonight have to be done by faith. You're not going to get delivered from the flesh on your own. Amen. First thing, get born again. Second thing, get discipled. Getting discipled was one of the best things that happened to me right after I got saved. I went to my parents' house. There was a book that they took me through. It was like 12 weeks. We would get together once a week. There was a lesson for me. It got me in my Bible. It had me looking up verses. And it really was the catapult or the foundation of everything that I'm doing today. Amen. So I want to encourage you. We need to be discipled. Amen. And that involves discipline. Amen. We all need somebody in our lives that can tell us no. Amen. That's what I'm doing tonight. I'm telling us no. These are things that we cannot do. If we believe that we're going to heaven and producing this type of fruit, we're lying to ourselves. I am not going to go to heaven practicing on a regular occasion sexual immorality. I'm not going to go to heaven practicing outburst of wrath. Those are things, after 20 years, there should be a little bit of change, don't you think? If you've been saved your whole life, shouldn't there be some inkling that there's been a change? 
And it's not going to church and it's not prophesying and all those things. It's, am I producing the fruit of righteousness that other people can partake of? Amen? It's kind of early, but I'm going to stop there. Amen? Hallelujah. Let's stand up. Thank you, Jack. Wow. Thank you, Lord. (laughs) He's glad it's over. I can go eat now. Thank you, Lord. Thank you, Lord. Thank you, Lord. Just close your eyes for a second. Hallelujah. Thank you, Lord. Father, we plead the blood of Jesus over us and over tonight. Lord, we brought a lot of things into the light. So, Father, I'm just going to, Lord, just forgive me of my sins. Forgive me, Lord, where I've missed the mark. Forgive me, Lord, where I've been producing this fruit and I didn't even know it. Lord, I ask you to forgive me, Lord, for envy, for selfish ambitions. Forgive me, Lord, for any and all those things, Lord, that I've done that have not been pleasing to you. Father, I repent. And Lord, I'm asking you by faith. Lord, it is my goal. It is my purpose, Father, to walk in love with everybody that's around me. So, Father, I make it my great aim. I make it my great purpose, my great quest, Father, to walk in this biblical love, Lord, for the rest of my life. Lord, I plead the blood of Jesus over this congregation. Father, I just speak blessing, I speak life, I speak health, I speak prosperity. Father, I just thank you, Lord, that, uh, that we know the voice of the Good Shepherd and the voice of another we will not follow. Uh, that sickness and illness is out of our hands.